this August, the movie event of the summer. One man, an entire society of identitarians and messy bedrooms, and a single neurotypical Canadian mind. Well, I certainly don't believe you meant to piss me off, but you did, and now I'm annihilating you. It's the story of a guy with the same gray side streaks as Mitt Romney, but a more agreeable face, who doesn't zip tie dogs to cars, but will ascribe postmodern psychosexualism to Marxist economic theory for some reason. Well, it's like it's certainly possible you've gotten your archetypes confused. I'm not the wise old wizard. I'm the angry young man. This summer, social constructionists meet biological determinism. Jordan B. Peterson in 12 Rules for Slaughter. Well, I've always found beauty in deconstructing ideas. I've learned I also find it in deconstructing brain matter. for slaughter coming this summer to an auditorium near you. Well, of course behavior is malleable. So is flesh for that matter. I'll see you in the belly of the whale. is up beautiful people welcome to the barbarian noetics podcast where we stay dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit and as always we resist the status quo and i am so happy that you have joined thank you i appreciate you guys i love you guys coming at you from a sunny and getting hotter all the time <laughs> saturday here in south phoenix uh, but i have turned my front ac off for this intro because i love you guys and um, I, after getting heat exhaustion last weekend, even though I want, because I am a sun worshiper, I would love just to bathe in that electromagnetic bliss, but I've been uh, limiting myself, <laughs> seriously, because as much as I love the sun, I equally hate heat exhaustion, which feels like you have chains around your neck and there's like a little demon perched on your head constantly that's telling you to just lie down. <laughs> that's kind of what heat exhaustion is like. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. I'm feeling great today. I'm happy that you're here with us. Uh, last night I had so much fun. I went to a warehouse party actually close to my spot here in South Phoenix. And I saw uh, Joe Kay, who is the DJ of the, um, he does the Selection radio show, which you can find on SoundCloud. And I've been following him for years. He started off as uh, he had like a little radio show at Long Beach College um, and he is so talented and 
it was amazing to see him spin live. He did a four-hour set, and uh, the warehouse is also an art space. It's kind of like a Burning Man-inspired art space, and so there's all this amazing art, really incredible metalwork, and all these like nooks and crannies. It's a massive warehouse situation. It was so much fun. So I'm riding high off of that experience, and I uh, didn't get a ton of sleep, but I'm feeling really good. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited for this week's episode. I'm not entirely sure as I'm recording this. I just decided to hop on the mic and record this intro because I was feeling it. But I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen this week yet, so I can't introduce it. I'm not sure if I'm going to be reposting an old episode. I have a a ton of work um, editing stuff this weekend, so just time. I have limited amount of time. And then also it's my parents' 50th anniversary, 50 years of marriage unbelievable so amazing and so uh we're also celebrating that this weekend and so you know until i figure out how to clone myself like those psychopath corporations clone cats uh then i am a little bit limited in (laughs) there's only so much time in a day uh and i can only go on on limited sleep for so long so anyways but i just want to jump on the mic get this intro recorded and however this episode goes i know it's going to be amazing and uh much love everybody Lo que hoy dio la tierra Doy gracias a Dios que el gobierno no entró Y la mota se vendió Y arriba la sierra What's up friends, I am your host, your loyal host, Little Raven A.K.A. Conan Tanner And welcome to the Barbarian Noetics Podcast. I appreciate everyone tuning in. And if you have not done so already, please spread the word and tell a friend about the BMP. You can recommend an episode that might resonate with them so we can expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians and usher in a more egalitarian and more fun world. You can also help me to afford groceries by becoming a patron at patreon.com noetics. All sorts of different tiers you can sign up at. You get perks like haikus and dream interpretations, and you gain access to bonus content. And if you're freaked out by a subscription, even though you can cancel any time on Patreon, you can also do a one-time small donation or large donation if you want <laughs> at buymeacoffee, all one word, buymeacoffee.com noetics. So thank you for your support. The BMP is entirely listener-supported. I couldn't do it without you. And to my patrons, you all are the mariachi music emanating from my neighbor's door 22 hours a day. And you know what? I actually love it. So I've always felt, always, even before moving here, I felt, like, comforted by mariachi music. It's always, like, cropped up in my life, like, even when I've been, like, camping in the wilderness and stuff. I remember this one specific time I was at a hot spring in Mammoth Lake, I think, California. It was, like, the middle of nowhere, and I was camped out with um, my friend. And for some reason, there was mariachi music emanating from, like, the hills. (laughs) So, anyways, thank you, patrons. I love you guys. Good vibes. (laughs) 
Let's get into this episode. Let's get it. peaceful Sunday night here in South Phoenix. The mariachi music has been played, the bouncy castles have been bounced upon, and it's the end of the weekend for most, and you can feel the chill vibes. The only time that Sunday night at this time can get hectic is during the football season if people are paying attention to the Cardinals, depending on whether they win or lose, and depending how the perceived importance of the game which of course is ritualized warfare. People will get kind of wild and crazy on Sunday night sometimes, but it is not football season and South Phoenix be chilling. I don't even hear any skirt or tire squealing or anything. So it's a good night to record. And so I wanted to kind of do a throwback segment uh, and kind of just be true to the roots, the origins of the Barbarian Noetics podcast, where I open up about myself, my life, my emotional state, my mental health, all that stuff. Just be real. The first pillar of Barbarian Noetics is authenticity is paramount. So so that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk to you guys freely right now. I, um, I have a video of ocean waves on YouTube that I'm watching on mute while I talk and uh, it's really beautiful it reminds me of my time on the big island but so uh, first off I'm having deja vu which is interesting Uh, haven't had deja vu in a while so whatever that means secondly um, I'm just riding high it was a really fun weekend so as I I think I might have mentioned this already but I went to a warehouse party on Friday night. I saw Joe Kay, uh, the the man behind Selection Radio. I saw him live. He did a four-hour set at this really cool venue here in the industrial district. It's one perk of living in the warehouse district is that warehouse parties are right by your crib. 
and it's called Walter's Warehouse and it's going to be my new go-to spot for raves and shows. Uh, it's just got the vibes that I like. It's kind of Burning Man inspired. There's a lot of art, really nice art. There's some like amazing metalwork there uh, that I was just completely enthralled with. And just a, a really fun night. Um, I, you know, someone who isn't me may have been rolling their face off. And, you know, I, uh, someone who isn't me does that therapeutically. Always it's a journey into myself and it opens up my heart. It opens up my mind and it connects certain aspects, certain hidden aspects of my mind. It connects back with my heart and certain hidden aspects of my heart. It connects back with my mind. And that's the therapeutic value of it and why it's so effective in treating uh, uh, PTSD and allowing people to, if necessary, revisit trauma but do it from a different heart space and see it from a different perspective from a bigger perspective and come to terms with it in that open heart space it's a really powerful medicine and obviously it has to be you have to be very moderate <laughs> with it and and have a lot of respect for it because it does uh you know it it takes your brain for a little bit of a, of a joy ride and so you don't want to overdo that and especially myself as I'm every day is its own journey with my mental health and I always want to be careful with it but the therapeutic value of it, uh, it, it for me just is by far the most pertinent aspect like I don't even I guess the only the little bit of negativity is that the morning after I typically have anxiety but you know I have anxiety all the time so I know how to deal with anxiety and then it fades after I get up and move around and go outside and do some stuff it fades and then um, that sense of expansiveness continues on it carries on for two or three or four days sometimes and ideally you'd want it to carry on forever and that's obviously my goal but um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always trying to, to, to take myself to the next level and elevate my mental health, and we'll see how that goes. So, I'm listening to this super dope ass four hour mix, and it's like a party mix. The subwoofer is really good, and this massive warehouse is such a good sound system. And I love feeling like when the subwoof just like vibrates your bones, and it's like. Boom, boom, boom. You feel it in, there, in, your, in your gut and in your heart and you're just like vibrating with the bass. I love that so much. And then I also really love uh, communing with my community, my people. So the reason why obviously we, we go to certain shows is because we resonate with that artist, we resonate with the vibration, which brings people, like-minded people who resonate with that similar vibration. And so I resonate with uh, underground, um, mellow but also like kind of hard sometimes but in in a way of like just like let's let's express ourselves expression heavy authenticity heavy and so just being with all these like-minded people from my community and dancing and just being free and just closing my eyes and just feeling myself move to the music the music allowing the music to just move me and move through me and you know like just dancing with folks and having a good time and for me it's like an extended meditation which is what ecstatic dance is when it's at its best in my opinion is it's really an extended moving meditation 
And so it takes my mind to all sorts of places. And I thought about so much stuff. I thought about the podcast and how far I've come and how I struggle so much with feeling like I'm not where I quote need to be. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to find a way. Um, and, you know, I know that I will make time for, for things. I was thinking about just how much I have on my plate. I do have a lot. Uh, you know, I serve coffee full time. And then on my days off, I produce the podcast. Now I have another show, Barbarian Yak Fest, which I, I produce every other week. And then I have my freelance copy editing, ghostwriting, and proofreading. Um, which I do like as on a gig level uh, to make ends meet. So it's a lot, but the thing is, is that that's good. I have been in, there's been at times in my life when I have not had a lot going on. And I typically get really miserable and unhappy <laughs> when I don't have enough going on. I start to feel extremely restless and I start to question my purpose. And that's one of the, one of the best things about starting the podcast is the sense of purpose that it's given me, the sense of kind of leaning into my own creative spark and leaning into connecting with others. Uh, the conversations that I have, the connections I make around the world, people that reach out to me, this is all like very beautiful and meaningful. And it, what it does is it expands the self beyond my skin. And that's where I find my joy. That's where I find my connection. I am... In a way, I am lonely all the time, and I've always felt that my whole life. I've always felt alone in crowded places, even with groups of friends, I've always felt alone. The only thing that is a balm to my loneliness is communing with the source of all beings and communing with the angelic forces in the world and communing with nature, meditation, prayer, ceremonial magic, connecting with the spirit world, connecting outside myself. That is the only thing that has ever ameliorated my sense of persistent loneliness. And when you, when you connect enough with the source, it kind of does, in general, make you feel less lonely. Because it's almost like having a friend that's there and you just need to pick up the phone and call. That's kind of how I feel about the universe and the angelic forces of the universe and the forces of the natural world, um, the, the local spirits. These are all, for me, very real beings and they are beautiful beings dedicated to goodness and justice and truth and peace and fun and joy and, you know, all the good things. And so knowing that that's there to connect with anytime, it just gives me a great sense of peace and, and well-being. And, I'm so thankful for it. So, so yeah, so I, I know that I, I, I possibly repeat myself a little bit, but I just want to thank everybody so much. And that is, comes from very genuine place of gratitude. I don't take any listener for granted. You know, I started this thing with zero listeners, and the fact that I have any listeners at all is such a blessing. And it kind of is the engine that drives me forward and What's up to my international listeners? Hello, what's going on? I know that I'm getting a few downloads in the United Arab Emirates and I want those people to reach out to me. Reach out to me and tell me, let me know what's, what's, up, what's up in the UAE. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so 
here I am, it's Sunday night, I am recording this segment, and then, so I did the warehouse party, so that was a whole thing. Stayed up super late, woke up, and then the, um, today, which is Sunday, I went to celebrate with my family. It was my parents' 50th anniversary, 50th wedding anniversary. They've been married for 50 years, half a century. What an incredible milestone. I am just like, blown away just by how powerful that is just to be together committed in partnership for 50 years and in today's world so many marriages end in divorce you know my own marriage ended in a divorce and so many people feel like very apprehensive about you know marriage <laughs> like the young kids coming up and also people in my generation and I told my friends, you know, like, oh, I'm going to celebrate my parents' 50th anniversary. And two of my friends literally started tearing up just because of, like, what an inspiration that is, that there are couples out there that make it work for the long run. And uh, I, ta I spoke with my dad this morning and was like, you know, it looks to me like you guys, you know, obviously all marriages have rocky patches and all that kind of stuff. But you guys seem so happy to be able to grow old together and be old together <laughs> and he's like yeah it's really nice to have someone to be old with and I think that's you know that's like the thing that people say when they fall in love is they're like let's grow old together but so few couples actually make it that far and so yeah just very proud of my parents and happy for them and so blessed to be able to see my family so much because you know they we all we all uh, grew up in Chicago, and they've been in Chicago, and I've been globetrotting all over the place, and we have not been in the same city forever since I moved out when I was 18, until two years ago when they moved here to uh, the Valley, and my sister and her family and my amazing nieces, my fav my two favorite nieces. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I don't think they're old enough yet to listen to this podcast, but eventually they'll, they'll maybe they'll listen back. So, what's up to my future nieces listening back? Y'all are the best nieces ever. <laughs> and um, anyways, what the hell was I talking about? Oh yeah, so um, my whole family lives in the valley now, basically. So that that is such a blessing and you know i i do get really frustrated with living in the empire being an empire baby watching the just horrific fucked up shit that our rulers do uh and supposedly in my name which is bullshit obviously i don't approve of any of it and also this is a tangent but people always are like they're using our tax dollars it's like yeah they are but they're also printing money because they have military supremacy and they can print as much money as they want so it's like they are using our taxes, but they're also kind of doing whatever the fuck they want. But anyways, um, I'm going to get to that later because that was another thing that I, I had a moment with uh, when I was at the, the warehouse party thinking about the world and stuff. But really quick, before I get to that, just what a blessing to be able to spend time with my family and what a beautiful day. My sister uh, hired a private chef that created this incredible meal that was inspired by my parents life so all the courses like correlated with certain events in their lives and the, sh the chef was just incredible and it was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life I am not even kidding the dessert was one of those complicated desserts that you can't remember the name of because it's something complex and French and you're like I don't even know what you just said but it was so delicious so good anyways so now that I've made you all hungry <laughs> it was uh 
Sam, I got I. They, she made salmon for me, steak for my family, salmon for me because I'm a, an ovo pesca, and uh, then there was uh, this really yummy wedge salads with this amazing homemade green goddess dressing with herbs from her garden, and these plump shrimp that she cooks in a way I can't pronounce, where she puts it in a bag or something to increase the pressure, and. Um, she said equal parts sugar, equal parts salt to do the shrimp. And they were like the plumpest, like they, they were like, whoosh, like you cracked into them almost like a, like a cucumber when you, when you bit it. Oh, so good. Anyways, I'm going to just wax poetic forever about this meal if I don't cut myself off. So I'm going to cut myself off and I'm going to return to my last uh, little portion I wanted to talk about for this weekend. So when I, I was dancing and having all these really nice, beautiful epiphanies at the warehouse party Friday, my heart is expanded, my mind is expanded, I feel connected. And so I've always been so incredibly empathetic. And so I empathize with like the entire world. And when I do get into a psychedelic state, I oftentimes will, I have to come to terms with at some point in the experience, I have to come to terms with the darkness and sadness in the world because I can't I can never just ignore it and and maybe I would be better off if I could I don't know you know maybe maybe that's like a talent that you can just not think about stuff I don't know I I can't I always I feel there's like places and it this sucks but there's like places in the world where there's just like this palpable feeling of stress that emanates out and so I was thinking a lot about uh, the, the episode I did about um, surviving a spiritual altercation and the adversary and the, the inner and the outer adversary. And so I also just had to come to terms with that. And um, I do believe that meditation does make a difference to help raise the vibration around the world. And I do think that you can meditate and send kind of soothing harmonious energy to the places in the world that are gripped by stress right now and um and yeah that's that's the adversary you know is is uh creating chaos and stress for you know a population of people and subjecting them to all sorts of awful shit you know that no one should have to be uh, subjected to and so, you know, I just, I send so much positive energy to anyone in the world who is in a zone of stress, in a, in a place of tumult. And, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of, there's, there's certainly a lot of stress in the empire. It's like, it's more like psychic stress and the stress, interpersonal stress and just the stress of survival stress too, because you're always like one step away from, like the majority of Americans are one step away from being homeless. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's now the majority of the American people <laughs> live paycheck to paycheck. So everyone is like totally precarious all the time. And it's like, it's stressful not being able to afford healthcare is stressful. So, you know, there is all, there is stress, but there's a certain type of the adversary kind of creates this certain frequency of, of at least tries to, I feel. They try to create this certain frequency of fear uh, and that has repercussions for the entire membrane of the earth. And so I want to study Peter Shampoo's work more. I want to try to find some ley lines. And I want to really, really try to work as an urban shaman 
sending out finding nodes of transmission and transmitting positive energy to the parts of the world that are gripped by stress and also to my own parts of myself that are gripped by stress and the parts of my city that are gripped by stress so you know i just life is complicated but beautiful that's such a good <laughs> kind of way of putting it and i can't fully appreciate the beautiful unless i acknowledge the complicated and when you acknowledge the complicated you go for a little bit of an emotional ride with it and you know just trying to make sense of the world and so every day is a new day to try to make sense of the world i want to be true to my own soul live my life fully and you know when it is my time to pass on to the next realm i want to be able to stand before my creator and say i did the best i could so that's what i work towards every single day making sure that i do the best i can with a very clear intention of i want to create a more egalitarian more peaceful world with way less material inequality with nobody left behind nobody left on the street nobody left with mental illness untreated and certainly no more war zones we don't need more physical material wars with physical material weapons we just don't it is time to move past that and you know does that sound totally pollyanna sadly yeah because everyone has grown up in this world where it's just like war is like this granted part of life and you know it's like the evil empire pulls out of afghanistan with its tails between its legs after 20 years of getting its ass kicked and sacrificing american lives young men traumatizing a lot of young men including some friends of mine and um you know for what you know for ended up basically handing the nation over to the group of people that you were supposedly fighting against and so then it's like well maybe since we kind of like that didn't go very well for the empire maybe we can like take a chill pill but now we're already like rushing into the next com- conflict and sending just a ridiculous amount of weapons to Ukraine and so that's the adversary and you know like when i when i really like examine that energy it is intimidating <laughs> it is intimidating and it can feel like so overwhelming that to stand against it is futile but that is the adversary that sense is that that is the tricky that's like the covert agents of the adversary they put thoughts in your mind that are like don't even think about standing against it because you're so insignificant and we are an unstoppable force and i reject that there is no such thing as an unstoppable force not in this world that we inhabit everything in fact everything that begins has to come to an end and so the adversary that is just determined to create war and violence and fear and stress in these places around the world and unbalance the membrane of the cell and the membrane of the earth and create stress energetically that is a stoppable force and we can stop it we have to come together to do it we have to each 
we have to all realize our own power. And then again, as Peter Shampo said, imagine if there were 8 billion Jesuses walking around, meaning 8 billion fully realized human beings with decalcified pineal glands coming together in common purpose to banish the adversary. <laughs> and yes, there will be new adversaries, of course. But what I'm saying is that the time of material, physical war and weapons and violence has passed. There's always going to be war, weapons and violence, but they're going to become more subtle. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to be any more or less challenging to face. You know, the psychic adversary is extremely formidable, but it's just better. It is a, it is a more diffuse form of violence. So it's like when, when, you have, when you have to deal with violence, when you have to study the adversary, you don't want dense physical violence because that seems like it's just like the worst, lowest frequency. At least if there's like ethereal, if there's ethereal stress and violence you have to deal with, I feel like it's, there's more room to maneuver and it's not as foundationally traumatizing. You know, I think that psychic violence is traumatizing, but I just think it's a different frequency. It's like a di different octave almost. And so the physical material war and violence is like the lowest octave. And I really do feel that it keeps the vibration of the planet down and it prevents us from awakening because it sends out this stress in all directions. So we do, we must, everyone, beloveds, listeners, everyone who hears this across the rabbit holes of space and time, we must prevail. There is no other choice. We cannot leave people to suffer and just ignore them. We cannot do it. Now, I refuse to do that. I refuse to look away just because it's uncomfortable. Until we banish this particular adversary, I will not rest and, you know, I intend to die with my boots on fighting this fight. So I appreciate you all being, being here with me along the way. It's an honor to stand side by side with you as we study, battle, overcome, and banish the adversary. Much love, everybody. Peace. You are now listening to Barbarian Noetics, a podcast dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Barbarian Yak Fest. Yak attack! And we got a new guest in the house today. He's, I've been hyping him up. I've been, he's been sending me all sorts of links and good shit that I've been integrating into the podcast. So in a way, you've already been a partner. And I'm so glad I finally get to have you on the Yak Fest. It is the inimitable Ramis Gobson. Thanks for joining, Ramis. Thank you. And uh, Ramis and I have known each other forever, and we used to we used to work for at least a little while the graveyard shift at a foundry melting metal and just like doing all sorts of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, I am not so, a graveyard shifter. I could only anymore. do that. I yeah. couldn't be. I need my daytime sunlight. It's a form of like graveyard shifts in general is just fucked. Like it's a form of, of slow torture because the more research that comes out about the importance of sleep and the importance of circadian rhythms to yank someone, if someone likes it, then good for them. And there you're amazing. But like, I mean, you need graveyard shifters. Some things need all night. Like that's just the way it is. And respect to people who make those sacrifices. Dude, respect. But yeah, I, I, uh, the last like job, benefit type job I had they switched up the schedule on us there was a managerial coup d'etat so this this psychotic woman became the CEO and she started running the nonprofit like a fast food restaurant and she wanted me to go from used to be it was like really long shifts and you were allowed to sleep at night and you just get woken up when someone needs help they just knock on the door it went from that to like okay less hours uh less pay and shorter shifts but you're gonna it's gonna be all night and you're just like an overnight janitor and i was like deuces i'm out because i would slowly go insane my sleep is so important to me do you notice like that each year that passes kind of like sleep becomes more important to you uh i mean sleep has always been important to me i've always been a great sleeper i lay down and within 90 seconds or so um asleep and then i wake up in the morning about the same time every day and i understand that's not like that for everyone but the few times that i've had trouble sleeping i was like dang this is what people are like like every <laughs> night people are like oh yeah I just have to like it's intense um yeah but i think i decided uh, a long time ago that yeah sleep is a thing and that's when i rest and can regroup for tomorrow or whatever so sleep is I sleep. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, uh, it is one of the most essential elements to my mental health. And and I keep reading more shit about like how important sleep is. Like apparently sleep is when we clean out our brains because our brains produce waste, our brain cells produce waste and some of them die and shit happens. And it's during the sleep that uh, we kind of like- All that waste that turns out. into like weird cuddling dreams. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Ah, ooh, <laughs> yeah, the waste. Those, are, those are dreams. It's just the waste getting sloshed around your brain producing chemicals. But, yeah. but yeah, so love to sleep. <laughs> not in the daytime. Not in the daytime. Well, I do take naps. I'm a, I I'm wish big, I could. It's like a scary concept. Yesterday, mm. I kind of tried. If you lived in a place where it's 120 degrees during the summer, during the daytime, I bet yeah. you'd learn to nap i'd probably be on a different schedule waking up at like 4 30 <laughs> if i was doing construction like i imagine that construction gigs out there started like as yeah. early as possible you know and it's just accepted because you can't yeah. get anything done yeah no for sure 
So uh, Ramis is, I believe, still living under the Gavin Newsom regime out there in uh, what used to be a pretty livable state in California. Uh, and you've been there for, for the last whole fucking shit show since it went from being like an expensive but cool state to uh, prohibitively expensive and like biomedical police state. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what that's been like to watch this place that you live be so transformed, like with not that much time passing. <laughs> For sure. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people out here, a lot of what's changed also is related to the droughts and fire season. Like we have a fire season and that seems to be like a concern of people and like definitely in the conversation of what changing California is. Uh, but the other aspects that I'm more concerned about uh, that you just mentioned I feel as though everyone sees it and in candid conversations, this topic as well as others, uh, it's acknowledged, but there seems to be like a contingency who is insisting that it's not, the quality of life is not going down. And San Francisco is still cool. There's still nightlife. Like it's not dead. I don't, I've only had my car broken into six times or whatever. Like, <laughs> uh, which is like cool, you know, it's like obviously not all bad and you got to see things through a rose colored lens. But do I you need the jab card, though, like if you want to go out in San Francisco, do you need the jab card to like get into places? It's not required anymore in San Francisco. OK, but some places that. choose to do it themselves in Oakland, where I am. There is a still a, a vaccine passport for restaurants and uh, movie theaters and. Uh, are very uh, cool theater, independent theater, uh, couches and cool events and draw night. And as a place I've frequented is participating uh, in the vaccine passports lifestyle well, thing. Um, and like but during the... not by force, okay. like they are forced to as everyone is, but they're like repping it and relishing in it and feeling as though that's a necessary part of the thing but the ironic part is that they build themselves as an inclusive theater and like make social media posts like you know we are really trying to be inclusive here and everyone and it's like they're literally one of the most exclusive theaters <laughs> in the country they yeah. do not they literally do not allow <laughs> one third of the black and brown population in oakland to see a movie so i feel like you just like keep it quiet on like the inclusive uh, advertisement of yourself. You're just like, we're just a cool movie theater, but <laughs> calm and down. I feel like everyone's welcome here because like literally like one fifth of the population and like one third of the population that people love to like use. And something that I acknowledge and try not to do is there is a marginalized population who gets the shit under the stick all time. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like dangerous to use them as like uh, points in some like point proving thing but i think that is a real thing we need to look at how the most affected people are affected by all of this and it's like surprise surprise like the people who always get the shit on the stick continue to get the shit under the stick yeah my favorite is when people who are all about the vaccine passport like explain like it, it's uh what is it imperial explain imperial explain about how like 
well, we know that that certain people are going to be uh, distrustful of the government because of Tuskegee. And, you know, when the government gave a bunch of black men syphilis and wouldn't treat them and watch them decay uh, because of Tus as if as if Tuskegee is the only time that that sort of shit ever happened. And also like, yeah, dude, they're going to distrust the government. Why aren't you distrusting the government? <laughs> like, it, it's just yeah. so crazy to be like, we have to explain to have this idea of we have to explain to this marginalized population why they need to get over Tuskegee. It's the most mental fucking like brain gymnastics. Yeah. I mean, the best way to explain it is probably like find like a very popular late night sketch comedy show and do some <laughs> sort of like condescending skit where you offer <laughs> them money and then are confused why they won't even accept money to get vaccinated. And then you like play on all like the heaviest stereotypes within the black population. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super cool. So take I don't us know back. if Saturday Night Live actually like influences the public sphere these days, but still like, I guess from like my childhood, it still seems like this institution, like, and that like the things they do and say, like reach an audience, but I don't even know if people watch Saturday Night Live. I don't know either if anyone does, but if they do, they are getting heavy programming because the last time I tried to watch a clip, it was the weird around the dining room table, dining room table clip. And they yeah. like tried to talk about how like the vaccines don't stop transmissions and stuff. And it, it was like this weird. That was a very important clip, I think, like for something like mainstream, like that, that was a. Yeah, I think a lot of people saw it like two ways. It was the. <clears throat> And for people who don't know, if you're interested in those things, Saturday Night Live, like dinner conversation skit. And it was, you know, New York liberals having like ooh, conversations about the failure of the last two years of everything we did. And maybe we shouldn't have been so harsh on our friends and family and disowned everyone and went crazy. Like, ha, 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 ha. Um, but not much in the way of like accountability. Just like, I'm like, ha, 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 ha. We were crazy. Yeah. Um, it made me feel very fucked up inside that clip. There was something about it. I felt like there was a lot of like subliminal messaging and, and there is now like ev all of like the Super Bowl commercials, anything, anytime where they believe that they have a huge captive audience and they're using screens, there's really sophisticated subliminal programming happening. And I, that that clip, I like felt it and it just made, I couldn't get through the clip. And I'm curious if like, people maybe people watching this they're more likely to be like oh of course like subliminal programming like that's the thing that happens <laughs> i think most people are but like of course that's a thing like why do you think they're spending all that money like they're like oh no we're, we're not trying to like influence you don't like yes it's a spectacle like people have written about the shit and studied this shit for the last fucking hundred years like none of this is new and part of the world today that i don't understand is it feels like two years ago we just forgot everything we knew and are like discovering all this stuff and it was like there's a whole body of knowledge for millennia in some cases like about disease transmission or about right um about about everything about basic how definitions behave of and like yeah. yeah but it's like we're it's a new world we have to just reframe everything like right away uh, Does your shirt say Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? <laughs> Hand-drawn Sharpie marker. What I do is tape the Sharpie marker to a telephone pole, and then I go like... That seems like that, whole shit out. that seems like the most efficient way to do it, for sure. It's not. It's way easier to just like hand-write it, but like... Uh, I've got to get more reps in. 
<laughs> and uh, just one last question about life in California the past two years before we get into the first clip. Uh, take us back to like the height of the hysteria, the height of the push, the propaganda push, the height of like the numbers going up and the height of the lockdown in uh, the Bay Area. What they was that tied, like? They tied the swings at children's playgrounds together. They took the basketball nets off for like 14 months. They just took all the basketball, put them in a closet somewhere. I've had, we like on lunch break, like sitting on the side of the road in Berkeley, like eating a sandwich. There is a, you had to come through my friend and I while we ate and a person just froze and like couldn't pass through the three foot gap between us and like didn't know what to do and had to turn around and like, Oh my God. In my car, like people would will cross the street. I had a child. This is two years into it. It's whatever day it is now, April or something. Mm -hmm. uh, a small child walking with his father couldn't get his mask on in time to pass me on the sidewalk and had like an anxiety attack. And his father's like there and helping put on his mask. And whatever that is, like we're still in a place where this father is not like, hey, buddy, you're not going to, this guy's not going <laughs> to get you safe walking right. by. Like, yeah, and, you're outside. It's chill. It, I mean, I don't, I don't think if, unless you're in the Bay Area or Portland or Seattle or like these very, you know, the few places that are going really hard, mm -hmm. um, New York at times, less so now, uh, and less so because it's just like big and you can't just like shut down New York and there's always going to be stuff crawling around yeah. on the floor. But uh, like, unless you're here, like, there's no, like, it's not hyperbolic. It is so wild and continues to be um but quick anecdote on the way home i stopped at the local grocer who is attempting to still require masks but it's like falling apart and they're like we're gonna lose business whatever <laughs> but you know 99 percent of the people still mask my cashier young gentleman probably like 25 <laughs> years old mask below his nose tissues behind his ears to stop the chafing from his mask wow. he has nose out and i was like hey when do we get to see uh the rest of your face he's like what I was like, oh, like, is Farmer Joe's like, hey, here's a time when you're going to be able to, like, breathe again, be normal. And he's like, to tell you the truth, man, I think this is all a scam. Like, in April, like, of the in the beginning, I was like, I'll give it a few days. I'll give it a week. I'll, like, check it out. Maybe it's the real deal. But, nah, this is a scam. And Damn. right on. I was like, fuck yeah, like, good to yeah. know. And it's like, unless you start these conversations with people, yeah. you can develop a, like, dismal view. And you're like, oh, everyone is just so but this kid has to wear his mask, you know, he's like doing his dudes, trying to make the money, but throw those little bones out. If you're like out there in the world and you feel, you're like, oh, what, why am I living in this like twilight zone? Like you'd be surprised, like figure out your little lines to fish for like, you know, what's up. And some people are gonna be like, oh, but you're gonna find a lot of people who are like, yeah, man. And I've had some of the most amazing conversations with people I've had over the last two years, just because there's these people you can tell they're out there at the flea market and like eavesdropping and waiting to be like yeah like what the fuck is going let's talk about the world no one in my life is like yeah everyone's just like and they're like looking <laughs> yeah. for people who just like want to shoot the shit so if you are a shit shooter there's plenty of people out there shit shooter recognize shit shooter you know what i'm saying and uh, you, it, it is correct that some people are going to respond negatively, and I've experienced that as a semi-public figure and stuff. I've had some people respond really negatively because I've been very open about my views and stuff. And um, it is, it's hard. It affects like a certain part of you, your ego, or like that part of you that like wants to 
wants to like doesn't want to be alienated from the tribe or whatever but what i've discovered is that i really do believe that you're correct and i really do believe that uh people who are thinking more openly about the whole thing are actually the majority and it's just been a very concerted effort to make it seem like the majority was on board with the establishment line yeah. but i think is manufacturing consent is a thing that like everyone taught oh yeah of course like that's how it always works you know and then the last yeah. year is like well maybe that's not what's going on <laughs> they right. might have replaced all the bad guys from the past with good guys. <laughs> yeah. It's still the same people, but now it's the good guys. And yeah. they probably went through some sort of training and came out and were like, oh, you've been doing it all. I can it's tell by. Pfizer you're thinking of. I can tell by looking at. <laughs> by gazing into Albert Borla's eyes, I can tell that he's been doing some really heavy inner work. He has been sitting in Aya circles and. That's why he's met with the Pope so many times. It's because he's having spiritual epiphanies. And when you have spiritual epiphanies, you go and talk to the Pope, because who else would you talk to? So, you know, I think that's totally cool that the CEO of Pfizer is spending so much time with the Pope, who, who is actually the head of this fucked up thing called the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, headed up by the Pope. So that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it does, right? You said inclusive, right? <laughs> Wait, but you said inclusive, like, and then, the only alternative to capitalism is communism, and that's like real-life vampire shit. So, inclusive, only uh, system of political economy that works. What what are we talking about here? What's what's going on? The Pope. The Pope is just this awesome old guy that uh, looks like the Emperor from Star Wars, and makes sure that there's like lots of uh, sick kids everywhere in the world. <laughs> I'm curious, and the Pope is like a big figure, like a figurehead, the visible face of a something, you know, a official leader, um, as is like, you know, the governor and the CEO of Pfizer, like, how many of those people are like actually making decisions, are decision makers? Like, I'm under the impression that a lot of those people are like the figureheads and they do like the talking for like whoever and they have to like take the people yelling at them like, there like the face but the pope i don't know i don't know anything you know i'm not <laughs> prepared to speak on that but i'm curious if the pope is like no these are like this is me like and people are like oh, pope don't do that and he's like i'm the fucking pope like i make the calls and like i would advise against that and he's like no no yeah oh to be a fly on the wall and like the power struggle uh struggle sessions between like the pope and the bishops when they have like heated debates over like where to relocate the pedophiles yeah, like, which is why invisibility just... is the superpower to pick you know like super fast <laughs> travel strength whatever like invisibility like if you're yeah. comfortable with yourself and you know you're not going to use it for evil like yeah i would love to just i would just go to board meetings just board like, what meetings the fuck all day are you talking about in here i want to know what people are really talking about you know what would i'm be... not invited you know what would be fucking awesome about being invisible is you would be the best investigative journalist ever and then because you were invisible it would be hard for them to kill you because they would be trying really hard to kill you but you would be invisible so unless they develop technology to figure you out that you that would make that would be like julian assange on steroids I feel like if Julian Assange could have been invisible. It's just like monkey's paw shit where I'm like, I wish to be invisible and then I'm invisible forever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Earth Angel comes on and you start plucking a guitar and like fading away. <laughs> yeah. That was a reference to Back to the Future because I'm, I'm almost a boomer now. So I, I watched that recently. It, you did? It holds up. It's a good fun movie. I, I love that whole trilogy. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. that feature instead of whatever the fuck this is. I know, right? We never did get the flying cars. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like yeah. they're trying to do... Okay, do you think... Uh, I've been 
<clears throat> taking a survey. Do you think that uh, electric truck fleets are actually a possibility, or do you think that's a pipe dream? No, I think for sure. Yeah? Like, where they're just, like, kind of caravanning, like, on each other? For sure. So I mean, the technology is, like, pretty much there, from what I understand. So what I've heard is that it's hard to manufacture the batteries big enough to power trucks right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that's just a temporary problem, but... Yeah. I mean, it seems like, look how fast battery technology has come in the last, like, 10 years. You know, like, e-bikes. Like, you, you're an e-biker, right? You're camel. Electric llama. Llama. Yep. Yep. Llama. Yep. The llama. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like the battery technology from six or seven years ago is like different than like Bosch is killing it with the bike battery motors, but just like being able to make everything smaller and brighter and stronger and faster seems to be happening. So that segues into my first clip here because part of my apprehension and I think a lot of people's apprehension about the idea of a fleet of electric trucks is it begs the question of like, okay, well, who is gonna own all the trucks and uh, how are the truckers and workers gonna be impacted? And then also where are you getting the materials from? Cause these raw, raw materials and rare earths, they have to come from somewhere. And that typically involves going to places and just like ripping them out of the ground. So that the ecological impact of, you know, it's like saving the earth by by tearing up the earth. It seems like a little bit of a, an oxymoron, but um, but yeah. So, you know, some people feel like we're hurtling into the future so fast, and like here at the Barbarian Yak Fest, we resist transhumanism. We're trying to stomp the Great Reset. So, I want to get your reaction right now to uh, something going on in, I think, in Beijing, somewhere in China, and you know, I I have like really made and i still am it's not like i've stopped but I, I make a concerted effort to not buy into like some of the sinophobic tropes and stuff about like oh the authoritarian chinese society and i've educated myself a lot about the great leap forward i had professor ken hammond on the podcast to talk about the whole history of modern china and stuff and I, uh you know i do have a lot of respect for the guerrilla campaign that mao pulled off is pretty impressive but uh but they're trying to do this zero COVID policy like forever. And that to me just seems very foolhardy and dangerous because the, it's it's dispersed around the entire globe. So for one nation to be zero COVID forever, that means they're gonna have to constantly be going on these, there's gonna be insane like draconian lockdowns quite often. And they just did have an insane draconian lockdown. And this is the, uh, this is how the instructions for this was, uh, um, for those of those listening on the podcast, uh, I could hear the audio of that, but Ramos could not. So I'm not sure how on the recording, if they're going to be able to hear the audio of it, but it's basically that loudspeaker that's affixed to, it's a, it's a, a robot dog, what they call a robot dog, but, uh, it doesn't look like a dog to me. And it has a loudspeaker affixed to the top of it. And it's barking lockdown and quarantine instructions in Chinese, uh, Ramos, would you describe the dog? Because it wasn't a dog. How would you describe no, it? No, I feel like everyone at this point has seen that. That doesn't look like the Boston Robotics or Boston Dynamics, whatever the company is, that is like the ubiquitous robot dog maker that they <laughs> is popping up around the States. And uh, they like made controversy recently. Some artists took one of them and put a gun on its head and you can like go around the gallery and like shoot stuff and users could control it. And then the 
robot dog makers were like, ooh, that's like a bad look for us. Like, would you mind taking down that video? We'll give you a free dog. And they're like, no, we're not gonna not enjoy a free dog. We'll buy a dog, we can make money. <laughs> um, but I will say that looks like a smaller version, like cuddlier. Um, like that one, I think I could take for sure. Like the Boston Dynamics ones with like bigger muscles and colors, like I'm not prepared, but I think that robot dogs that's like, I'm always like, what do we all, what can we all agree on? Where can we come together? Like, I haven't met anyone who's like, I'd like the robot dogs. That's cute. <laughs> I can see good stuff happening. No one, no one. My mom, who I have a very difficult time connecting with anything now, like we connect on the robot dogs. She's like, I'm not down. Um, and that's some of my like, you know, Instagram friends and old people I used to like communicate with, we kind of still see each other on Instagram very off on a lot of things ideologically but robot dogs that's the thing that everyone's like no <laughs> in Hawaii I'm not sure if you saw but they had the robot dogs go to homeless encampments to do testing and stuff um, but they were sending them to homeless encampments really uh, yeah wow that but there's robot like... dogs are, yeah robot dogs are are here for sure <laughs> and everyone sees where it goes like it's like I just the beginning like, of the movie you're like okay yeah the robot dogs like i know what that i know how the movie goes <laughs> i just think they couldn't have possibly made that particular robot dog any creepier looking it kind of looked like an insect to me and if you had had the audio it like makes clicking sounds when it walks so it's kind of mm -hmm. it's very like like insect at insectoid and the only thing that freaks me out more than robot dogs is like literal robot insects like from starship troopers for sure are, i don't like the robot insects so. i'm just i'm not feeling it at all um yeah. so i want to read you this article here this uh the asshole president of blackrock uh basically thinks that you're entitled and so i'm just going to read you some of this oh so it's called inflation will clobber entitled generation of consumers blackrock president says it's been at least 40 years since inflation was as high as it is today and that means an entire generation of entitled consumers is about to learn some very rude lessons about life and money according to blackrock president rob capito some asshole named rob capito Capito, who is also co-founder of BlackRock, the world's largest investor of other people's money, spoke this weekend at a conference of oil and gas producers in Austin, Texas. This is a quote from him. For the first time, this generation is going to go into a store and not be able to get what they want, Capito said, according to Bloomberg News. And we have a very entitled generation that has never had to sacrifice, he said, according to the outlet. BlackRock has about $10 trillion of clients' assets under management. As its president, the 65-year-old Capito made $22 million last year, and I guarantee he made a shit ton more than that. That's ridiculous to think that he only made 22. Anyways, so they're, they're blaming it, of course, on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which obviously is not the only reason for inflation, but uh, BlackRock CEO and co-founder Larry Fink warned investors last week, quote, Central banks face a dilemma they haven't faced in decades, which has been worsened by geopolitical conflict and the resulting energy shocks, Fink wrote. Central banks must choose whether to live with higher inflation or slow economic activity and employment to lower inflation quickly. And then it talks about how it, it drew backlash. But so what do you have to say to, to BlackRock President Rob Capito, promise? 
Um, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's pretty right on. Like, I am part of a generation of entitled consumers who, like, gets to go to the store and buy whatever the fuck I want. You know, I'm a poor person. You know, I, like, figure out where to spend my money. But, like, yeah, we've gotten used to, like, some, like, certainly plenty of people are, like, dealing with hardships. But compared to, like, hardships of the past, like, we are pretty doing all right as a as a whole um in certain regards you know like excluding like mental and physical health but uh you know like roofs and food like it's, it's not like no one's very few people are well i mean the homelessness problem is getting pretty bad and there's yeah. just constantly more people ending up on the street all the time and it's getting harder for people to like afford to go to college and it's getting harder for definitely harder for people to own houses you know than the previous generation like oh yeah the idea yeah, I mean, it's of, been like a while happening this isn't just like a right now thing but like yeah people in general compared to a lot of places in the world and times through history like comparatively easy and entitled like I haven't as a person who's like not really like made money I still haven't had to like really worry I'm like savvy and i think savvy is you know in addition to like all your other privileges but like savvy can make up for a lack of privilege um yeah i mean i think that uh you you kind of have a you're especially talented at going with the flow i think it's it's hard for some people like you said the, the mental health challenges and the pollutants in the environment and you know it is true that uh, we have definitely gotten used to just like going in these supermarkets and having a choice of like three different types of blueberries. So that is very true, but I don't know. I just, I feel like it's it's an example of, and this also is not like groundbreaking observation, but it's just the whole idea of like one rule for thee, one rule for me, and how increasingly the elites seem to be kind of like jettisoning themselves from like the commoner society and just I think there's plenty of people who aren't elites who are like aspiring to that and they're like maybe I'll like wind up on like that um, have side instead of the have not so I think there's a lot of people in for a rude awakening in the next few years who are like oh we're fine we got like this x amount on the bet like um we're we're, we're we're in you know and it's like I think a lot of those people who thought they were in they're gonna be out too and that's gonna be a whole like shift like I'm used to being poor like I'll figure it out I'll get by like whatever but if you you're accustomed to a certain lifestyle like it is going to be a rude awakening um yeah it'll be yeah. interesting I mean, to it, see how people react it seems like it's in this particular case like this guy seems to have his hand in the reasons why people won't be able to like afford things so it seems a little uh you know yeah i mean it's he's like but he's like, no one fucking promised you this was like forever shit. Like you should have fucking stacked harder. Like this wasn't your like, oh, dude, the future will be all set. Like no one told you that. Like you and, still and, gotta be like on it. You know, you gotta do better. Like, and if we did tell you that, we were lying to get ahead because that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And now we're purchasing entire neighborhoods <laughs> to make sure that your ass is gonna be a permanent renter, and you will own nothing and be happy. That's what these motherfuckers want. <laughs> but yeah like you said i've i've always been poor too so it's kind of like or at least in my adult life since my since like i left the house <laughs> yeah. so but the challenges to the mental health thing are are very real and 
Like, how do you, how do you manage to keep your head like, right? Uh, you know, I self-medicate for sure. Um, I, I use a, little, a fair amount of marijuana and I do think that helps. Uh, and I believe in things. It doesn't necessarily mean I do them. I believe in the power of meditation. And I think just my belief in that, excluding me actually meditating. <laughs> That's funny. Like, uh, keeps me going. Um, probably some like residual Catholic guilt of things like related to like, I feel guilty feeling bad because everyone else is in like way shittier situations. So I don't like get to feel bad about stuff. Um, mm, I've been yeah. very fortunate to be like pretty good in the mental health arena. I'm a little like anxious when I don't have anything to do. I'm not good at relaxing. Um, but all in all, like, I do all right, but sleep for sure. Sleep is probably the number one thing. Uh, So you believe in meditation, but you haven't been uh, like doing a meditation practice. (laughs) No, no, of course not. I believe in stretching also, you know, and I think just like, again, just the belief, just like watching some girl stretch on YouTube, like somehow. Yeah. Yeah. By, by osmosis, all of a sudden your quads are good to go. Yeah. No, that is, it's, it's funny you say that Ramos, cause it is true that like, if you believe in meditation as a thing, if you believe that you're just like one pillow on the floor away from having at least like some sort of grounding centering experience, then you probably are interested in the more like invisible aspects, aspects of life, which I feel like connects you to something greater than yourself and also just the great mystery in general i find that to be a huge source of comfort for me the fact that we haven't figured everything out the fact that this asshole at blackrock he's you know he's figured out this one particular monetary system in this one particular three-dimensional reality in this one particular time and space but he has no jurisdiction whatsoever over my meditation practice over my spirit and you know i believe that the spirit is eternal and uh, that gives me a lot of a lot of comfort and and is a source of like faith during difficult times. Do you do you believe that the soul is eternal? We're just starting off real light right tonight with a barbarian yak fest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've as someone who's really bad at chit chat, like I'm no stranger to <laughs> casual questions that uh, maybe require a little more thought than casual conversations usually provide, but. Uh, I, I don't have any good argument that the soul is not eternal or reason to believe that it's not, um, I don't really find the concepts too consequential to my existence. So I don't feel like I have to think about it too much. Like, I think I would live the same way if I felt either way, even though I'm pretty agnostic about the question. That's interesting. So do you ever uh, get, do you feel loneliness ever? Yeah, for sure. Uh, how do you like address the loneliness? Cause for me, I always lean really heavily on like my spiritual beliefs. Cause I, I feel alone in groups of people a lot of times. And yeah, I mean, my whole life. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm in a relationship, a wonderful <laughs> relationship with someone I love very much. And we live together and like, uh, you know, my life is almost not my life because it's like our life and we're together so much that, you know, 
even though like I can still feel loneliness in the relationship, especially I want to go off on like some like intellectual tangent that she's not willing or prepared to like engage with, you know, and like mm-hmm. I, I yearn for that, like that kind of. Uh, yeah. Even just like loneliness. Um, yeah. It's the different, different vibrations. Mm-hmm different energies in the beginning of the pandemic just like getting on twitter and following like regular people with regular lives who had similar views like helped and like i don't engage much but you know have some people (laughs) who are like uh and that was just nice knowing that like because again if you don't have those people or you don't know where to go on the internet like you you i mean this is i guess i'm kind of framing it within the context of the pandemic as everything seems to have been framed. It's easy to do it. They're like, you have to, that's how you have to view (laughs) things. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I try not to get caught in that trap, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Loneliness uh... is not something I think about too much. Also at that place that we worked in poured metal, the one of the few conversations I had with Rinpoche was he's like at the end, your friends won't be there. Family won't be there. No one cares. You need to make true friends with knowledge. I was like, that's like pretty cold. But he's just like, yeah, your friends, your family, like they're not going to fucking be there. And I think I like took that in and I probably do believe that. Like I still like don't really on anyone. Like I'm not, you know, maybe that's like a bad thing, but it's like ultimately like I can like hope and like assume maybe, but I'm not really counting on anyone being there at yeah. all. Like if it gets like really deep or existential or whatever, like it's going to be me and like up here and like, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, uh, I guess maybe you just don't think about it for me. If, if I were to think about like when I die there's like it that's it for my spirit for some reason that's like upsetting to me so I don't know if that shows a blind spot in my Mm. consciousness if I should be more more comfortable with that because like I spent a few months in central Australia with the aboriginal Australian people the Chintapurta people and they definitely believe that like when you die your spirit does live on but it lives on through the environment through the through the literal dust and the literal rocks that like we become over time that those things all have spiritual energy as well. And so our spirit lives on through the land and it can be accessed through the dream time and accessed through stories. So it's like, even that to me seems like hard to come to terms with in a way because it's the complete diffusion of, you know, I don't know. And then the other point about that is like, well, you're dead. So <laughs> there's, yeah. if that's it, if it's the end of your consciousness, it's, it's the end of your consciousness. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I assume it'd probably be your best bet would to be live under the assumption that there, you know, like don't fuck it up just in case, you know, like <laughs> yeah, plan on shooting through, you know, not like into and like sliding down. Like you want to go <laughs> yeah. through the walls of the Pentagon in a very small, plain sized hole. Yeah. But not like <laughs> smash it. You want to go through the World Trade Center, like melt into it. <laughs> like digital morph like don't just stop don't just stop i want to change the lighting okay you got it (laughs) so yeah just uh getting off to a nice light start talking about the afterlife uh tibetan book of the dead i don't know if you can hear me still ramas but yeah the uh did you ever read the tibetan book of the dead 
No, it's the same thing with uh, meditation. It's just like, I know I have it on my shelf and it's there. When <laughs> yeah. I want to access it, uh, it'll be ready. Because, I mean, that I, I haven't read the whole thing. I've mm-hmm. only read, like, parts. But, I, it, like, the whole thing is, like, guiding your soul through the afterlife. So it's very much seems, seems focused on the idea that the, the soul does continue in some respect. Yeah, I don't uh, think about the afterlife too much. I don't think about death too much. It's not, not like a man. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But like, I think and I've also, you know, my grandfather died, but he was like old and cancer ridden. My grandmother died in the beginning of the pandemic from the Rona. Still the only person I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know shit. You know, it was like right in the beginning. And it was like, no one can see her. She's dead. Uh, and we didn't get to have a funeral because like too dangerous. Duh. Like, That'd be crazy if like five people gathered to like celebrate someone's life. That'd be like crazy. So of course we didn't do it. Um, Man, like obedient and stuff. That fucking sucks. Yeah, it's silliest thing. Uh, and I am certainly not the only one. Like plenty of people, oh, God. loved ones, just like withered away in isolation while in like, isolation. Some, like, Fifteen dollar an hour, like worker who fucking hates their job, got to like see your grandmother, but you can't. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I I think that is one of the most cruel, one of the most on an interpersonal level, one of the most cruel consequences of the pandemic policies. And to do that to an elder, to treat an elder like that, to leave them alone while they're yeah. sick and dying. Uh, that was like one of the first big things. I was like, whoa, whoa, what with this? Wait, no, like that yeah. was uh, very firm. Like, no, like that could be the last, or just like no Thanksgiving, whatever. It's like that could be the last time you see your fucking uncle for a variety of reasons. Like, take that chance. If you're going to take a chance and think of some, that's the chance you take. You go to fucking Thanksgiving and you hug your grandma because that might be the last time you see her. Like, yeah, crazy. Yeah, 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 or to think that they're just there. It's like, <clears throat> well, I haven't really seen her in two years, but my friend is making a Kevlar bodysuit, and we're going to do a big hug through saran wrap, like, if they let us. Uh, but yeah, the, the elder situation totally fucked up. I think that a lot of the psychic damage that has been done due to especially the, the specific policies in the US is going to take some time to manifest to materialize. I think there's a lot of like really deep seated trauma on us individual and societal level. And I don't I talked about this a little bit with Sylvie, like how it seems like everyone has like taken their trauma from the pandemic and just kind of like seamlessly transferred it onto Ukraine. <laughs> and like not not coming to terms with like, wait, but how has this affected me, my outlook? you know, do I hug my grandma anymore? Like a lot of people don't hug their grandmas anymore. And a lot of times it's because their grandmas don't want to hug them. Like that to me, just seems really fucked up yeah. and sad. I, from the personal level, I've seen less older people who are the most susceptible to whatever is going around. Like if anyone needs to be protected, it's the elderly. Like that's, that's the risk factor is like elderly yeah. obesity, vitamin D, like you can figure it like those are the people. Uh, and a targeted like protection that might have been a good idea over the last two years maybe yeah. uh, but a lot of the older people that I come across in 
regular life or like i fucking lived 75 85 90 years like i'm not gonna fucking hole up for the last two years like i've been exposed to pathogens before honey you know like <laughs> yeah thanks i'll go fucking shop for my melons like i don't need to like download an app because i don't know how to use that stupid thing and hopefully i'll be dead before it's a fucking requirement to participate in society to be like oh my god yeah <laughs> no that's like, true I've, I've i've seen that as well with a lot of elders i've come across they've, they've just been like you know all the covid 1984 masks that i've seen have been like 65 plus women yeah they ain't having it and respect to them and in general just like moms during this because the fucking somehow the restrictions are just the hardest and continuous on the kids in new york yeah. city right now whatever but it's like it's the moms who are showing up and saying like no and demanding answers and you know so yeah moms are killing it right now absolutely and uh in the especially i I saw a lot of footage from the canadian trucker convoy and there was a lot of uh moms and women over 65 there as well representing and yeah it's like when you have that lifetime of knowledge don't you're not gonna let some asshole who has like a sharpie and is changing definitions in the dictionary tell you like what's what you're like nah i know yeah i've been exposed to fucking pathogens before you know and i can also read data and like and i kind of know how the immune system works a little bit (laughs) yeah just or something like i'll take my chance thanks thanks but yeah right exactly so one of the craziest things about the fact that, you know, the, the vaccines were mandated and so many people had to take it in order just for nuts and bolts reasons of survival. And that's one thing that I think gets overlooked. Like when you look at the percentage of vaccinated or whatever, people make the mistake of thinking like, oh, those are all people on board with, with the establishment line and with the whole messaging. And that is just couldn't be farther from the truth. A lot of people did it because they literally they felt like they literally did not have any choice and for good reason you know barely make i'm very fortunate to have a life where i don't have a weird corporate job and this that like i've lived a charmed existence and i can even though i've had trouble and it came up in like my work situations and such uh but yeah i've i get that not everyone's so principled that they're like, I'll let my family starve to death before I get the, like, yeah, I fucking get it. And I've talked to plenty of people who are like, yeah, basically I got like, I didn't, I wasn't it, but yeah, plenty of people. I would say easy half. If like, if the messaging was like, Hey, we got this really good thing. And it like really works really well. Get it. Don't get it. It's up to you. You're a fucking death. I bet you plenty of people are like, okay, I'll see my death. Yeah, so I'm going to go screen share an article right now. I'm not going to try any audio stuff again until I figure that out more. But this is just uh, an article I'm going to screen share with you. So it's like one of the things you heard over and over uh, when they were mandating it and it was facts, juveniles saying backs that ass up and everything is like, you know, if you if you even suggested uh, obtusely that wait, doesn't mRNA like give, I'm not like a smart person and I don't know that much about biology, but doesn't mRNA like, isn't there a way that it can be translated into DNA? And I looked into that like right at the beginning and all these scientists were like, yeah, it's called this enzyme reverse transcriptase and that's what it does. And like a lot of viruses actually operate that way where the uh, mRNA 
becomes it like it becomes permanently encoded in your DNA. To say this, you were like a conspiracy theorist, you know, whatever, QAnon nutter, get out of here. But there's this recent study, so let me screen share this with you. <clears throat> and it shows that uh, far from being conspiracy theory, it, uh, it's one of the most natural things in the world for M mRNA too. So Pfizer mRNA vaccine goes into liver and changes into DNA, a Swedish study finds. The research was conducted at Lund University. A new Swedish study published in MDPI found that the Pfizer vaccine goes into liver cells and converts to DNA, challenging claims so far that the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. It's the first time that researchers have shown in vitro or inside a Petri dish how an mRNA vaccine is converted into DNA on a human liver cell line. It's precisely what health experts and fact checkers said for more than a year could not occur. And obviously, of course, hopefully most listeners to the Barbarian Yakfest know that the fact check sites are just like intelligence connected uh, propaganda outlets. But I, I think most people know that now. I think the fact check sites have gone so off the off like the, the rockers the last like especially the last like year or so that it's woken up a lot of people like, wait a minute. The, these fact check sites don't seem to be like just because you call yourself a, a fact site doesn't mean you're citing facts and in fact it's uh kind of sus suspicious in my mind dr peter mccullough an internist cardiologist and epidemiologist who is one of the leading critics of the covid vaccines said the findings have enormous implications of permanent chromosomal change that could drive a whole new genre of chronic disease the CDC assures Americans that the mRNA and the spike protein it produces in COVID-19 vaccines to create an immune response don't last long in the body, quote unquote. On its website, the agency states, our cells break down mRNA and get rid of it within a few days after vaccination. Scientists estimate that the spike protein, like other proteins our bodies create, may stay in the body up to a few weeks. However, the researcher at Lund University in Malmo, Sweden, found that the mRNA vaccine enters human, human liver cells and triggers the cell's DNA in the nucleus to increase the production of the line one gene expression to make mRNA. The whole process occurred rapidly within six hours, concluded the study, which was published by the university departments uh, of clinical sciences. And of course, Pfizer did not want to comment on this study, but I want to let you comment on the study, uh, Ramos. What do you What do you think about this? Uh, I am not particularly scientifically literate. <laughs> well, neither am I. I think that is okay, and I think that this like credentialism, like, oh well, like you're not a scientist, so you, and it's like yeah, fine, that's like fair, but like, uh, yeah, like if everyone had to like understand what you just read in order to like make informed decisions, like. That's a rough world. Um, <laughs> but in general, I, like I'm very interested in those studies and I can like use what I like glean from them to make personal decisions. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable like giving advice to other people based on that, um, whatever. Um, but I think that there's plenty to interpret and criticize and digest <laughs> 
in an arena that I am competent in, like math, simple mathematics. Like I'm not like completely enumerate. I can like understand decimals and fractions and such. Um, You're ahead of me. I can like understand, you know, my life around me, and I can see that like it's been two and however many more than two years now. Like we can probably look at places that are like wrapping loose fitting cloth or whatever that blue stuff is that's in the mask which we never talk about like all the people are like I use water bottle I don't even use water bottle <laughs> what's in that plant you have blue like stuff made by Pakistani guys on the floor like and, like and breathe that in all day like I'm sure yeah. there's nothing in the blue stuff in your mask that's gross like yeah no off gassing here that you're just yeah. like huffing directly to your brain but I don't need to point. know anything about science to see the <clears throat> data that shows that masking toddlers or children or teenagers or anyone for that matter at this point like uh, has an effect on the rates of transmission and severity of outcomes. Like I don't need to know about science to like interpret that data. Um, but I think that people should find people that they trust who are a little smarter than them to interpret stuff. But ultimately, yeah. like, I I don't know. I took well, high school biology and it was a very long time ago. And how uh, does that sit with you on like a gut, like on a gut reaction to like, oh, that these vaccines uh, convert into DNA in the liver? Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I know so little about science that I, if you could convince me that's a good thing, you know, be like, and I'm sure that in a little while people will be like, well, the, what a great side effect. We should have known. Or they'll be like, it was always that way. There's always been chromosomes. Your chromosomes have always been like that. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm pretty like, sure. Uh, like, no, people have always had tails. No, it's the Mandela always effect. Had tails. It's the Mandela effect, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't um, remember correctly. So yeah, it's hard with stuff like that. I'm like, in a personal level, I can see that and be like, oh, that, reinforces my belief in the beginning and I was like maybe I'll wait and see what happens in 10 years and then I'll make a decision yeah um yeah so uh, the I mean in, I do in... see plenty of stuff like all my friends getting COVID um that makes me feel better about my decision not to protect myself uh and as far as I know like I've not had COVID um but I could have been one of the 70% of people who get COVID who experience an asymptomatic infection, just like yeah. an asymptomatic infection. Like the whole asymptomatic thing is a whole other thing <clears throat> to unpack and is like probably ripe for a whole episode of yeah. like, cause that's what the whole, this whole thing is on the crux of the idea of asymptomatic spread. And that that's true. not sick people, you know, otherwise it'd be like, oh, if you're sick, then you have to get in the cage and do your thing, like whatever. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not sick, so I don't have to worry about it. And it's like, right. oh, you might be sick. And it's like, oh, like every day from now on, I have to be like, yeah, I guess I might be sick. And you're like, I'm a disease I even doctor. have a test that says I'm not sick. They're like, I'd prefer if you yeah. just don't pretended you were sick. <laughs> like, that's cool, I'll just pretend. Like, that makes us feel better. If everyone around could just pretend they're sick and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and We'll get back to normal as soon as everyone pretends to be sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it sucks so much that like the, the the servant class that was even while while you know people were encouraged to like not engage in society at all, you had people that had to show up to work every day. Like I just served coffee, but you know, and I was I didn't want to stop working. I'm very thankful that I was able to work through it. But, but you you're know, essential. You're an essential person. I mean, I'm essential. You're but, essential. 
but like surgeries and other stuff that has to be postponed because the hospitals might overflow even though they're currently empty, that's not essential. Has anyone, you or anyone listening to this ever, even before two years ago, heard of the concept of essential person or essential bit? That is not even a <laughs> word or concept that exists. Like in school, back, like, anything bad ever happens, there's going to be essential people and non-essential people. The non-essential people are shit out of luck, and the essential people are also shit out of luck. Like, you know, they're they're both shit out of luck for different reasons. You're like, what do you have? A candle store? Be like, mm, candles? No. Like, what do you sell weed? Like, what do you sell? Like, uh, people taped off in Michigan and other places, like taped off like the garden section in Home Depot. They're like, yep. only essential goods. Like Canada, like we're going hard with that, like certain parts of the store. It's yep. like, who the fuck is making this decision? They were just like, oh, well, I guess that is like, and I think a lot of these decisions were made by like the manager at a place. Like, but I think that big picture, there's gotta be like incentives coming from someone. It's like, hey, will you be the store that really takes it the extra bowl? Will you be the restaurant who like goes in on the vaccine passports before anyone does? Like, we'll help you out. Like, like shit, <laughs> yeah. we need the help. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, essential, non-essential and asymptomatic and a lot of words that just like popped in and were like, well, that's a, a big thing. Yeah, social but distancing was another one, even though I it was physical certainly refuse to pretend I'm sick for indefinite amount of time and just wake up every morning and be like, I feel great, but I could have a deadly pathogen <laughs> inside my body that smiling might could somewhere along the line, you know, kick out someone and could be a different state. You know. Like I could be jogging, I could be jogging outside, but I could smile because I could see a flower and it could make me smile. Oh, and then I'm just spewing fucking that smile because I'm moving too and so the the, the virus load is just it's like a cloud and then another jogger might might swim through my cloud of virus and then I'm responsible and that's on my karma yeah you know the only time I in this whole time where I was like all right it was like day two you know it's like deadly pandemic da, 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 spread by <laughs> spit and stuff and like I assumed you know you'd have to be right up in someone's face I'm like as long as someone's not spitting on me I'm all right but then a yeah. guy who I know is like an elder in the community who's a little kooky <laughs> who's always coming up and like spitting just like ran right up to me and just started ah, and I was like you need to back up dude like we're in like fucking weird zone now they're telling us spit like you need to back up uh and he got like kind of huffy but uh, other than that, I was like, all right, I'll just like, once I found out that people like me are going to be okay, I was like, spit on me. Yeah, give, it, give, it, give it to me as soon as possible. Like, I tried to get it for the first year and a half. Like, you know, I was every, like, any interaction, anytime I could touch someone's hand, share a spliff <laughs> with some guy on the side of the road, like, I'm down. I was like, let's get it out of the way, you know? But to no yeah. avail. Uh, really quick before I, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up pretty soon because we're already at almost yeah, an yeah. hour. But I did just want to say before we completely depart from the the permanent integration into the DNA conversation, for me that resonates hard because from the jump I was really uh, I couldn't get, shake the idea of gene editing. It had something to do with yeah. gene editing. I don't gene fucking therapy, know. Gene but, editing? Not interested. But, like as soon as you said, I was like, not interested. Thanks. No, I'm not interested not at interested. all. I like my DNA. I, I'll, I'll go with the four billion years of evolution, thanks, over Microsoft's algorithm. But I'm taking one for the team, and I'll do the control group. Like some, like literally, and do very it. seriously, not in like a snarky haha way. Like there needs to be a control group. You can't yep. just like let's just try this experimental thing on every fucking person in the world. Like 
you really do need to have in like probably worst case scenario not going to happen but in some worst case scenario shit like maybe there should be some people who didn't have their genes edited like maybe like but the don't like the pfizer controls moderna controls like all that shit they're like oh the trials are over like get your vaccine so like all those people in those trials are vaccinated now because most like people who sign up for a vaccine trial are probably gonna get vaccinated you know like they're interested in it or they're like desperate for money but (laughs) so um so we're gonna we're circling the tarmac to bring this conversation to a close. Thank you, Ramis, for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate yeah. your perspective, fresh perspective, and I'm rolling with like the energy of the conversation. And I want to end on something a little different. Uh, we could talk about COVID shit uh, until the cows come home. I know, I but know. I wanna I wanna depart this conversation on a slightly different note. Uh, so we're gonna be discussing Taoism. The, uh, which I also read from for the outro of this episode. So this episode has a very Taoist feel. I, I love Taoism. I'm a big Taoist guy. I remember the first time I learned that Taoism was a thing. We were learning basic religions. I was in grade school. They were like Christianity. I'm like, ooh, you know what I mean? And they're like Islam and Judaism and Hinduism. And con- then it started getting kind of interesting, like Confucianism. I was like, that seems like kind of, and then they're like, (laughs) and they're like, and Taoism. And I'm like, what is Taoism? And then I read, I pick up, I go to the library and I pick up a book of like Taoism, a primer. And the first thing I read is that which is called the Tao is not the Tao. And that just like fucking cracked open my skull. Cause I was like, what, (laughs) how can, but if you call it that, like I was in grade school and I was brought up in you know my my parents are very like uh upper middle wet upper midwest uh tradition culturally traditional like you know just very grounded uh when when you say something is a thing that's the thing this is the first time i like had to it, it cracked open the separation between language and reality for me and that really opened up a lot then i just started immediately i was like in grade school and i'm like where are some mushrooms i want i saw a dare video and snoopy got some fucking shrooms and he freaked out uh, but before he freaked out, everything was changing colors and melting. So thank you, Nancy Reagan. And I really want to find mushrooms now. And I'm nine years old <laughs> and I had no trouble finding them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I just want to read a little bit about um, I just talked for a long time. Are you I assume you're familiar with Taoism? Yeah. And do you are you familiar with Lao Tzu? He's the author of the Tao Te Ching. Uh- I mean, familiar in that I know that was a person that existed. (laughs) So, and that's the thing is that's actually not settled that he actually existed or not. There's like a very, very uh, vibrant debate over whether he was a historical figure or whether he was like a mythological sort of archetype. So I'm going to read this article about Lao Tzu, get your reaction, and then we'll let you get out of here. All right. Lao Tzu, or Lao Tzu, also known as Lao... Oh, I need to share this. Sorry. Let me share this bad boy. Okay. Laozi, also known as Lao Tzu, is a Chinese legendary and historical figure. So this, so far, LearnReligions.com is telling us that legendary and historical. We're going to let Ramos make the final call, and that's going to be codified into history. So no pressure, but Merriam-Webster is actually on the other line. Uh, we just changed a few more definitions because immunity said meant something before and now it just means like uh what what this like what rochelle walensky drank for like breakfast 
that that's what immunity is now. But anyways, all right, let's continue with this article. <clears throat> Considered to be the founder of Taoism uh, and the author of the Tao Te Ching, Taoism's most sacred text. Many historians consider Lao Tzu to be a mythical figure rather than a, a historical one. His existence is widely contested as even the literal translation of his name, Lao Zi, meaning old master, indicates a deity rather than a man. Regardless of historical perspectives on his existence, Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching helped to shape modern China and has had a lasting impact on the country and its cultural practices. So who was Lao Tzu? Lao Tzu, or the old master, is said to have been born and died sometime during the sixth century BC, though some historical accounts place him in China closer to the fourth century BC. The most commonly accepted records indicate that Lao Tzu was a contemporary of Confucius, which would place him in China at the end of the pre-imperial era during the Zhu dynasty. The most common biographical account, oh, what just happened? The most common biographical account of his life is recorded in Sima Quan's Shi Ji, or Records of the Grand Historian, which is believed to have been written around 100 BC. I really want to get a translation of that. Records of the Grand Historian written in 100 BC. That's pretty sick. All right. The mystery surrounding the life of Lao Tzu starts with his conception. Traditional accounts indicate that Lao Tzu's mother gazed upon a falling star, and as a result, Lao Tzu was conceived. I mean, that, that seems feasible to me. He spent as many as 80 years in his mother's womb, wow, before emerging as a fully grown man with a gray beard, a symbol of wisdom in ancient China. He was born in the village of Chu Zhen in the state of Chu. Lao Tzu became a Xi or an archivist and historian for the emperor during the Zhu dynasty. As a Xi, Lao Tzu would have been an authority on astronomy, astrology, and divination, as well as a keeper of sacred texts. Sima Quan's traditional account of Lao Tzu's life says he was never seen again after passing through the gates to the West. Other biographies state that he traveled westward to India where he met and educated the Buddha, while others still indicate that Lao Tzu himself became the Buddha. Some historians even believe that Lao Tzu came to and left from the world many times, teaching about Taoism and gathering followers. Saima Kwan explained the mystery behind Lao Tzu's life and his reclusiveness as an intentional casting off the physical world in search of a quiet life, a simple existence and inner peace. And I need some inner water right now because my throat is dry. Later historical accounts refute the existence of Lao Tzu, denoting him as a myth, albeit a powerful one. Though his influence is dramatic and long-lasting, he is revered more as a mythical figure rather than a historical one. China's history is well kept in an enormous written record, as is evident by the information that exists about the life of Confucius, but very little is known about Lao Tzu, indicating that he never did walk the earth. So the Tao Te Ching and Taoism. Taoism is the belief that the universe and everything it encompasses follows a harmony, regardless of human influence. And the harmony is made up of goodness, integrity, and simplicity. The flow of harmony is called Tao or the way. In the 81 poetic verses that make up the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu outlined the Tao for individual lives as well as leaders and ways of governance. 
The Tao Te Ching repeats the importance of benevolence and respect. Passages frequently use symbolism to explain the natural harmony of existence. For example, nothing in the world is softer or weaker than water, and yet for attacking things that are firm and hard, nothing is so effectual. Everyone knows that the soft overcomes the hard and gentleness conquers the strong, but few can carry it out in practice. So that I'm glad there was a little uh, excerpt from the Tao Te Ching, because that's certainly like, for me, that's the lifeblood of Taoism is reading the Tao Te Ching. Uh, and there's many different translations of it. So I encourage if people are interested to check out, do a little research, find out all the different translations, kind of see which translation you resonate with, and then read the text. Because yeah. it's so I wouldn't need the street translation, because if we're being real, like, that's all I understand. <laughs> We should we should fucking create that street data ching. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, I was going to read just one more verse from the Tao Te Ching. And that's how we'll bring this conversation to a close. Do you want to pick a number for me between oh, which one between one and 80, whatever. Forty two. Forty two. I've never picked that number for anything before, so this is kind of special. <laughs> this is special. Not my usual two-digit numbers. <laughs> All right, verse 42, the principles of transformation. The great integrity expresses one. One manifests as two. Two is transformed into three. And three generates all the myriad entities of the universe. Every entity always returns to yin after engaging yang. The fusion of these two opposites births the vital energy that sustains the harmony of life. But for most people, this harmony is decimated by inheriting a condition of relative misery, scarcity, and victimizations. Politicians cleverly pretend that they too originate from the toxic soil of this misery even while designing the very laws that legitimate victimization. But watch out, those who hoard over sufficiency will be diminished, and those who are diminished will become beautiful. These commonly known truths that common people teach each other are also my truths. As you sow, so shall you reap. Such is the heart of my teaching in a world forced to live heartlessly. So let's just uh, just give me your free association gut reaction to that verse from the Tao Te Ching, Ramas. Uh, I feel like yin yang patches and shirts and stuff should become more popular and by like more popular again, repopularized. And I just think that like the imagery of the yin yang like out in the world like is a subconscious or unconscious like reminder of that like necessary and like you can't like that that which exists um the unity of the opposites yeah i mean that's like you know what it is arguably and i think mm -hmm. that there's a yeah and sometimes <laughs> it takes like you know the symbols or like the words or just the repeat like i mean that's how we get messages you know you repeat them you show us you show us so yeah more yin yangs. Get yourself a little patch for your sticker for your bike. You know, just people see it and like, oh yeah, yin yangs. Something in me is like doing the thing now. Like, 
And you can take sidewalk chalk and do yin yang on sidewalks or yin yangs at the park. I really like that idea. And I like that because it's like a productive, active, constructive thing that anyone can do. And yeah, no one's offended by it. No one's like, ooh, <laughs> someone played a yin yang on my like, Oh, cool, yin yang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's like levels of reaction, all of them pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, all right. Yeah, okay. no, it's true. And we gotta, we gotta be out here. Like Fred Hampton said, he's like, I'm out here propagandizing every day. We gotta be out here propagandizing every day. And why not propagandize with the yin yang? I can't think of anything better. Uh, we gotta, you know, part of resisting is being active and, and the, the conversation of symbols. We are subjected to a lot of symbols so we can put symbols out onto the membrane of the earth and we can influence, you know, put out a little bit of positive energy that way. So I, I like that, Ramos. So that's your homework everyone for this week is figure out a yin yang situation and make it more plentiful. Maybe just put the yin and hope someone comes with their own chalk and fill in the yin, <laughs> come back tomorrow and be like, someone took care of that. They were like, Whoa, all yin, all yin. <laughs> like Margaret, get the chalk. Someone left all the yin. Fill it in, you know, <laughs> Margaret, <laughs> we need the yang. All right. Well, I really appreciate it again, Ramos. This was really fun connecting. It's good to see your face in real life. And, Likewise. Uh, I'll be in uh, Arizona at some point soon. Yeah. Okay. Summer is probably not the most fun time, but I got probably a car not. now. Um, oh, hell yeah. All right, cool. And money, Ramos is going to be a, a repeat guest on the Barbarian Yak Fest, where we're also going to have uh, three-way three conversations with Dr. Sylvie, too. So that's definitely coming down the pike. So, All right. Thanks again, Ramos. Much love, yeah. brother. Animal sounds next time for sure. Or oh shit! Finish. The quick, animal sounds. Quick, we got just a quick few. We got to do the animal okay. sounds. Sacred land of Taoism. Uh, the learner of Taoism, first of all, they would uh, encounter with the question, what is Taoism? Just like you. Taoism, in Chinese, if you want to know about Taoism, you must know its uh, philosophical aspect and religious aspect. But Taoist philosophy was originated from 2,500 years ago um, you know, by 
Lao Tzu, the writer of Dao De Jing. Without Dao De Jing written by Lao Tzu, uh, there there is no Taoism. Dao literally、uh, means a path or、um, way. So Taoist philosophy、uh, talks about the universal way, which is suitable for every human being.、Uh, so philosophy is a kind of wisdom. So what is the highlight of Taoist Taoist philosophy? Yi Yin Yi Yang Wei Zi Dao. The Taoist philosophy. Uh, tells people the right way to obtain happiness is to find the balance of yin and yang. If you observe the Chinese character Dao, the you know the strokes, the first two strokes, first three strokes, that's yin yao and yang yao. That represents、uh, the yin yang balance. Then you come to the second part, si, which means oneself. That means Dao is not far from you. Dao is within you. You yourself, each one can be, you know, the practitioner of Dao. You yourself. If you are on the right way, you can also obtain your Tao. The last part is Zou Zhi, which means to go, to move, to act. So this character very much tells about the definition of Tao.、Um, Tao is universal. Is.、Uh, Objective is natural. In Taoism, we say, "Dao fa zi ran." Dao follows the nature. So Dao talks very much about、uh, wu wei non-action, effortless action. Because our nature, the nature in the nature, the cosmos, there is its own natural rhythm path. Never to be too fast, not too slow. There is, you know, he has its rhythm, its pace. We human being also must find, find it, recognize it, and follow this heavenly way. This is my understanding about what is done.
Alright, love doves, you have made it to the outro, and we have a very special guest for this outro. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Connery from Finding Forrester in the Barbarian Lair today. What's going on, Sean? Yes. Yes. You're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. Yes. <laughs> You're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. One more time, one more yes. time. He's so happy about this outro. Yes. You're the man now, dog. That's right, Sean. I am. Yeah. All right, that's enough. We don't need to do it a fourth time. <laughs> All right, so those of us who are still with me here, who uh, I didn't just alienate with that. But if you, if you guys don't know, now you know. You're the man now, dog, from Finding Forrester, one of Sean Connery's finest moments in his hallowed career. But uh, there's no good segue for this, so I'm just going to jump right in for the outro reading this week. I'm going to be uh, reading to you about the shamanic origins of Taoism. So I was looking into the origins of Taoism. There's a lot of... It, 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 it's a very ancient religion, and even the figure of Lao Tzu, who... Uh, his authorship is ascribed to the Tao Te Ching, which is kind of like the the primary text of Taoism. Even his life is kind of, no one knows for sure whether he was even a real historical figure or whether, because his name, I believe, means old teacher. And so some scholars posit the idea that perhaps it was like a, a many people over time that created the Tao Te Ching and they ascribed it to this kind of archetype of old teacher or maybe Lao Tzu was a real guy but anyways we're going to be reading about the shamanic origins of Taoism today for the outro really quick I'm going to keep the housekeeping short and sweet I can really use your support to afford groceries everybody groceries are five thousand dollars for apples now it's insane and I know that everyone listening is in the same boat as me but even just one dollar a month two dollars a month makes a huge difference so if you would please hop over to patreon.com noetics if you feel you get some value for this show the barbarian noetics podcast is completely listener supported so it's a value for value exchange and even just one or two dollars a month makes all the difference you could also make a small one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com noetics and what you'll really be doing is buying me groceries. I should call it buymesomegroceries.com. That's what they should call it. But anyways, <laughs> I love you guys and I appreciate it. And obviously, uh, it's just the listening and the spreading the word and telling the friend that, that you know that's the most foundational thing. If you haven't rated, reviewed, and subscribed, give me those sweet, sweet five stars. Please take a moment to do that. I love you. And let's get into this article. So this is from uh, I'll have the link in the description it's from learnreligions.com the shamanic origins of Taoism by Elizabeth Renninger the beginnings of recorded historical China lie some 5,000 years ago when a tribal people settled along the banks of the Yellow River its source high on the Tibetan plateau its mouth at the Yellow Sea these people were hunter-gatherers and farmers Millet was most likely their first grain cultivated, rice and corn and wheat coming later. Evidence exists they were also potters and musicians and that they produced the world's first wine. So thanks to the ancient Chinese settlers 5,000 years ago, I was uh, able to be a wine drunk for three straight years on the Big Island where I would get home records of Liberty Creek 
and go deliver myself to the beach and just consume the entire handle of wine and body surf. And, you know, for, for an alcoholic existence, it was pretty damn bucolic, I have to say. Continuing with the article. <clears throat> so the Wu, the sh- uh, shamans, shamans of ancient China. Their relationship to the cosmos was a shamanic one. At least some of them were able to communicate directly with plants, minerals, and animals, to journey deep into the earth, or visit distant galaxies. They were able to invoke, through dance and ritual, elemental and supernatural powers, and enter into ecstatic union with them. The class of people most adept at such techniques became known as the Wu, the shamans of ancient China. The Three Sovereigns and Five Emperors The leaders of this pre-dynastic era were the legendary Three Sovereigns, or August Ones, and the Five Emperors, morally perfected sage kings. Somehow I doubt that they were morally perfected, but... I, I get it, they're making a point here, but something tells me these sage kings were possibly, maybe did have some, maybe they liked a few creature comforts. It's just my a hunch. <laughs> Morally perfected, quote-unquote, sage kings who used their magical powers to protect their people and to create conditions for peaceful and harmonious living. The wisdom, compassion, and enlightened power of these beings were beyond mortal comprehension and the benefit they bestowed upon those they governed was immeasurable. The heavenly sovereign, Fuxi, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, is said to have discovered the eight trigrams, the Bagua, which is the foundation of the I Ching, the I Ching, Taoism's most well-known system of divination. The human sovereign, Shenong, is credited with the invention of farming and the introduction of herbs for medicinal purposes. The Yellow Emperor, Huang Di, is known as the father of Chinese medicine. Yu the Great. It was under the reign of Emperor Shun that the legendary Yu the Great was challenged to subdue the flooding of the Yellow River, a task which, through some combination of magical and technological prowess, he accomplished with great success. He subsequently designed a system of dikes and canals which proved to be of great and lasting benefit to his people. The pace of Yu, the dance steps which transported him mystically to the stars, where he received guidance from the deities, is practiced even today in certain Taoist traditions. Shamanism, the roots of Taoist practice. There is much, in fact, from this early period of China's history, and in particular its shamanic worldview and practices, that is reflected in the subsequent emergence of Taoism. Spirit travel, spirit travel to planets, stars, and galaxies are practices found within the Shang King sect of Taoism. Taoist magicians use talismans to invoke the power and protection of supernatural beings. Components of many Taoist rituals and ceremonies, as well as certain forms of Qigong, are oriented toward communication with the plant and animal kingdoms. And the practices of inner alchemy are designed to produce from the very bodies of its practitioners, the mystic wine of ecstatic spiritual union. Zhuangzi's Butterfly Zhuangzi, one of the earliest and greatest of the Taoist philosophers, wrote about a dream he had in which he was a yellow butterfly. And then he woke to discover that he was a man. But then he wondered, now am I a man who just dreamt he was a butterfly, or a butterfly who is now dreaming that he is a man? 
In this story, we find again elements of the shamanic experience, dream time, shape-shifting, flying, communication with non-human realms of being. No one knows what Zhuang Zi's answer to his question was. What we do know is that even though historically the era of the three sovereigns and five emperors with its shamanic worldview and practices may have passed, its mythological resonance is still palpable and its essence quite alive within the traditions of Taoist worship and practiced today. Perhaps the Taoists are really shamans, just dreaming that they're Taoists. So there you go. The shamanic origins of Taoism and that will bring this week's episode to a close so I'm sending you guys lots of positive vibes shape-shifting vibes I hope you dream of butterflies I hope you travel to distant galaxies I hope you have some breakthrough meditations I hope you have epiphanies I hope you are real with yourself I hope you have compassion for yourself I hope you roll with the the valleys as well as enjoy the heights and uh just sending you guys lots of love and good vibes so until next week be good to yourselves be excellent to one another be compassionate to your own heart and i will talk to you next week much love peace whatever goes around eventually comes back to you so you gotta be careful baby and look both ways before you cross my mind